I'd like to look again this morning out of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to look at this section this morning which talks about the unforgivable sin. What is the unforgivable sin? Have I ever committed it? Have you ever committed it? Do we need to worry about it? When Jesus says there are some, there's a sin that none will be forgiven for, what does he actually mean? It's good. It's not just an academic exercise. This is a very good thing to think about so that we can live free and live happy and live uh, our lives as Christians counting for much, all right? So I would like to um, look at that this morning with you. And I wanted to uh, just remind you of when we last looked at Mark, I had a look at the calling of the disciples, uh, the kind of men they were, why Jesus called them, what he called them to do. And again, um, I want to encourage you with catching up if you missed anything, uh, so that you can be up to speed on that. I also want to encourage you, part of what I said last week was that we walk humbly with God for this year, and for our lives, hopefully. And I want to say to you that I believe part of walking humbly in a general lifestyle is, is, is giving yourself to reading and giving yourself to study. It's part of being a humble person. What do I mean by that? I think it's a dangerous place that we can get to in our lives when we don't think we need to know to to learn anything from anybody else, or there's nothing that we can learn, nothing that we can read that's going to help us in our walk with God. I think that's a dangerous place. Part of learning to walk humbly is to say, God, I don't know everything. My revelation of you is incomplete. Please help me enlarge my understanding of who Jesus is, enlarge the understanding that I have of God in my own life, my understanding of the gospel and the fullness of the gospel, what does that mean? Please speak to me. And so I want to just say that there are many people that have helped me and continue to help me in my own studies on a weekly basis. And some of these people are people like people that are dead. <laughs> Martin Luther and John Calvin, Artie Kendall that you know and we've met, Michael Eaton, Tim Keller, William Barclay, John Piper, Terry Virgo, more recently Andrew Ollerton and many, many others and all of us have something to learn. And I want to encourage you, the great teacher is the Holy Spirit. And he, he always reveals us more and more and more to us about Jesus. But he does use men and women to help us. Those that have walked ahead of us. Those that have uh, a, a fuller understanding of the gospel. I want to encourage you in your own life to make study part of your daily routine, your weekly routine, that you are equipping your, yourself. And I want to point you again to the Bible course that we're going to be doing together to try and equip ourselves and say, God, how can I better understand the full big picture of your word and how it all fits together? All right. And having said that, can I then ask you to read with me Mark chapter 3, verse 22? And we're going to read through to verse 30. It simply says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying... He is possessed by Beelzebub, and the prince of demons, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. Yeah, they're talking of Jesus. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he might plunder the house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men 
and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So what we looked at uh, last time in this series was the calling of the family of disciples that Jesus called. And it said in Mark, he he said he called these people, these men, to be with him. And he called them to know him. But we also learned that he called them to send them out, that they could be ambassadors for this, this message of the kingdom that Jesus was demonstrating and living out. And so everywhere he went, he preached the kingdom, he taught the kingdom, and he demonstrated the kingdom. And the way that he demonstrated the kingdom was that he healed the sick and he cast out demons. And everywhere he went, when you read the Gospels, those two things go together. He casts out demons and he heals the sick and he proclaims the message of the kingdom of God that is at hand and is coming through him. And I said to you, part of the the Gospel of Mark, part of its message is to show us the rising opposition that was coming against Jesus as he preached that message. And as he demonstrated that message, and the opposition that he got was from the Pharisees, was from the religious order of the day. And here again is a demonstration of the Sadducees and Pharisees' opposition to Jesus and his message. And he's casting out demons... And they come to him, this group from Jerusalem, this, uh, the, this uh, group of Sadducees, and they accuse him. They say, actually, it's by the prince of demons that you cast out demons. Now, that's a terrible thing to say, that the work of God is actually the work of the devil. And this is kind of what the Pharisees were accusing of, Jesus of. And it's interesting that this portion comes just before Mark chapter 4, which is the whole uh, beginning of Jesus using parables to talk about his kingdom. It's the last little thing that happens before Jesus starts speaking to us in parables. I'm always fascinated. um, People say that we need to use parables in teaching, in preaching, as in sermons. We need to tell more stories that people can um, understand easily. I don't know about you, but I find the parables very difficult to understand. The parables are like puzzles. And it's like when they ask Jesus a question, he never gives them a straight answer. And it's like he presents a a puzzle to them that they have to think through and try and understand what on earth is Jesus speaking about. So I'm not sure that it's honest to say that uh, you know parables are simple stories that we can easily understand because I don't think they are. And we're going to have a look at some of the parables um, in the, the weeks ahead. But here is something Jesus concludes this portion with a little sentence that can cause us as Christians, that can cause us concern. Jesus says, all those that blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness and are guilty of an eternal sin, and they can never be forgiven. What does Jesus mean? Now, if you believe the gospel like I do, that there's the good news of grace to us, that whatever sin we commit, we are forgiven and we live free, We live guilt-free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe that with all of your heart, then this little phrase, this little thing that Jesus says should be a little bit of a concern. What does he actually mean? Uh, There's no contradiction in the Scripture, so what does Jesus mean? And I have to say also that over the years I have spoken to many people in different churches where this verse genuinely distresses people. It causes them great anxiety that there's a a sin that they cannot be forgiven of. 
and will never be forgiven of, according to Jesus. What does that mean? Sometimes after people have been saved and they come to faith, they remember their lives and they look back on their life with regret at some of the things they've said, some of the things that they've done, and out of an honest place of reflection they say, have I committed the unforgivable sin? And it's out of a sense of wanting to know, and uh, I hope that this morning you'll, this, this message will answer your question if you have one, and even if you're here this morning and you've wrestled with this question, that your question will be answered this morning, okay? And uh, sometimes when we look back at our lives, how we resisted God, our hard-heartedness, uh, even a vehement denial of the existence of God, sometimes these things can come back and haunt us, and it's like those moments are seared on your memory. Have you ever got moments like that? That even when you are in middle age, like I am, I still remember some of the things I did in my 20s. They are seared in my brain. It's like I know I'm forgiven, but when I'm feeling down, or I'm feeling, um, feeling life is getting on top of me, the devil often pops those moments back into... Have you ever experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? And yeah, yeah, those things are all under the blood of Christ. We are forgiven, and yet sometimes we can't forget them. And so I want to say to you, even if you are here today and you're wrestling with this thing, this very thought of forgiveness, I trust that this morning uh, you will leave joyfully, happily convinced of what Jesus is meaning here. So I would like to try and answer this question by looking at three little, three little uh, questions that kind of go together. First of all, is there really an unforgivable sin? Secondly, if there is, what, it, what is it? And thirdly, if those two things are true, how should we live then in terms of our lives in, the, in, in relation to those first two things? So let's get on with it then. Is there really an unforgivable sin? Well, verse 29, if you look at it carefully, it simply says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. And I want to make three observations in terms of this little verse. First of all, Jesus is talking about God's forgiveness. All right? Jesus is talking about God's forgiveness here. The sweetest news for us as uh, sinners is that Jesus has forgiven us for all of our sin. That is the amazing grace that we proclaim and we live in the freedom of. It is an amazing, amazing joy in our lives that there's no sin that is held against us. It follows then, if that's the best news for us, (laughs) the worst news in the world is that God doesn't forgive us. You get my logic? Yeah? It would be the worst news in the world. Uh, Ultimately, God is the one that we have to reckon with in terms of our sin. What men think about our sin is not important. It's really what God thinks about our sin. Have you noticed how society tries to excuse sin? Have you noticed that? It kind of tries to explain it away all the time. Uh, uh, The world in which we live in tries to make little of sin. Well, actually, God makes much of sin, and God wants us to be holy and pure as well, and we have to reckon God first about sin before we even look at what men says about sin, okay? So we're talking about God's forgiveness here. We're not talking about men. Secondly, when God says never, He really means never. <laughs> he really means never. He says that he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness. Now, all of us have um, people in our lives that we know or we've been experienced to, uh, have experience of, because we've done or something, some sin in the, against them, they let us know that they will never forgive us. Have you ever had experience of that? 
We know that God has forgiven us, but this person or these people let us know that they will never forgive us by the, the way they interact with us or by saying, I'll never forgive you. And uh, sometimes you, when you're involved in the ministry, you can be exposed to people that when they were growing up, their parents said something to them and they still live with it, with a sense of unforgiveness or someone in their past said something that they've carried with them for years and years and years. Yeah? So, when it comes to people, all of us have been exposed to those kind of people, but all of us get on with our lives, don't we? <laughs> so, if that person lets you know that they're never going to forgive you, what do you do? You just get on with your life, and there are other people that love you, and there are other people that accept you, and so you just get on with those people. And so in that sense, it doesn't matter. You just get on with your life. All right? But when God says He never forgives us, there's no one else to turn to, <laughs> is there? There's no other mate. It's like if God says no, I never, it's a major deal. And whether it's 50,000 years into the future or 10 million years into the future or 100 million years into the future, God's verdict would still be the same. If he says he doesn't forgive us now, it will be the same 100 million years from now. This is a big deal. <laughs> this is a major deal. And so I'd like to... Um, try and assure you this morning and encourage you that you would leave here rejoicing this morning, all right? This is actually a very encouraging message. So I don't think Jesus is talking about forgiveness in this life either. He's not just saying that we'll not receive forgiveness in this life, but we will receive forgiveness after we die. It's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying in this life and in eternity, you will never receive forgiveness for this sin. Why do I say that? Because if you look at Matthew 12, 32, where the same situation is explained by Jesus, he explains it a little bit more. It's more precise. He says in Matthew 12, 32, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. That's the translation in Matthew 13. So Jesus is making it quite clear. It's not just about in this life, and then when you die, you are forgiven. No, he's saying... In this life and in eternity, no forgiveness for this sin. And that means, my third comment about this verse, is that means if we are not forgiven, we are forever under the wrath of God, forever under His anger. Um, He says that in verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. That's what it means. It means uh, for eternity. It means... um, If forgiveness is withheld from us, that means we carry guilt forever for this particular sin. God is not neutral. God is not um, ever neutral to sin. He he forgives sin on the one hand, that is the beautiful thing of the gospel, and he punishes sin on the other hand. He's never neutral. He kind of doesn't make peace with sin. He deals with it, either by forgiveness or by punishment. And there's no indifference with God when it comes to sin. Um, I I read this this week. C.S. Lewis said, we can also experience situations on earth that are like hell. He said this, hell is a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about their own dignity and advancement and where everyone has a grievance. (laughs) Can I just read that again? On earth, he's talking about here on earth. Hell is a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about their own dignity, about themselves and their pride and how people see them, and their own advancement, getting ahead, and where everybody has a grievance. I have to say, some churches I've been in have been examples of hell then. I have to say it. 
Everyone concerned about their own dignity, their own ministry, how they fit in. They don't like the pastor. They don't like the way he does things. Ma, 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 ma. My own advancement. And everyone's got a grievance against each other. Everyone's fighting and gossiping and bitterness and ugliness. Hell on earth. It's supposed to be the church. Let's not ever go there. What's the answer? The antidote? Humility. <laughs> Jesus, I need you. I don't know everything. My friends, I need all of you. I don't know. That's the, that's the antidote, isn't it? Humility. And so, um, here I would want to just say as I look at this verse, that if we, if, we do, if we refuse to come to terms with this verse and what Jesus is saying, and we try and undermine or separate or uh, not separate, undermine this thing of being separated from God. When we, if we don't like to speak about separation from God or hell, because we're trying to be nice to people, we don't want to speak about the wrath of God, it's to reject a very basic teaching that Jesus himself brought. And it's very simple. It's encapsulated in this verse. It's the clearest, one of the clearest passages in the Bible um, saying that God will shut out forgiveness. So, in answer to this question, is there unforgivable sin? Yes, there is. And Jesus calls it an eternal sin, one that will never have forgiveness, and one that sends a person into eternity with guilt, carrying guilt and under the anger of God forever. So what then is this unforgivable sin? All right? And I do want to say this, that if you are thinking, have I ever committed that sin? The very fact that you're asking that question probably means that you haven't. In fact, I'm sure that you haven't. All right? So I want to just comfort you. This is not a wrath and fire and brimstone message. This is actually a grace message. All right? And here it is. What, I want to say then, in answer to this, what is the unforgivable sin? Well, Jesus puts it very plainly. He says, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, fortunately, we have the rest of Mark to explain to us. And basically, Jesus is saying this, if you notice, at the end, when the Pharisees have come with a certain accusation against him, and he knows what they're thinking, and the context is that Jesus wants us to understand what he is saying in relation to verse 20 to 27. Verse 30 gives us the clue. It says, Jesus brings up this issue, for it says, they had said or were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And that points us back to verse 22, this delegation from Jerusalem, the scribes. It says, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So they've brought an accusation. They're saying something about Jesus. They're saying, actually, his miraculous working in people's lives is actually not the work of love. It's the work of Satan, the work of evil. Isn't that a terrible, terrible thing to say? And so... Notice this. Even though Jesus knows that of them, he never directly says to the Pharisees that they have committed this sin. He's warning them. He's saying, don't get into that kind of thinking lest you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And so there's a warning for the Pharisees as there's a warning for all of us. Maybe the scribes had committed the unforgivable sin. Maybe they hadn't. But the crux of the matter is this, the heart of the matter is this, when people think the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of the devil, there's a problem. 
There is a huge problem. And they're on the brink of committing this sin, and they are on the brink of falling over into uh, a way of thinking that is going to lead to destruction. Here the Pharisees are looking at the Son of God. They're looking at the incarnate love of God and His work in the person of Jesus, and they're calling it the work of the devil. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible place to get to in your life. It's also important, as we're considering this verse, to think about this, that Jesus couldn't have used this phrase, the Holy Spirit, in the way that we, in a full sense, use the Holy Spirit, because Pentecost hadn't come. Remember? Jesus had not yet gone back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit had not yet fully come like we would experience the Holy Spirit now. The church would experience the Holy Spirit now. So when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in a Jewish sense of how the Jews understood the Holy Spirit to function. And Jewish people believe two great things about the Holy Spirit. First, that the Holy Spirit reveals God's truth to us. All right? He reveals all of what is true about God to us. Secondly, they believed that the Holy Spirit also enabled us to recognize the work of God in our lives. So when the the truth of God comes, it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to recognize that it's the truth of God and that it would change and transform our life. And so that's the sense in which Jesus um, is using the phrase the Holy Spirit. He's saying this is what the Holy Spirit comes to do, to reveal all of God's truth to us and to help us to see how that truth impacts us personally. Now this is also true that if you stop exercising a certain faculty that God gives you, you will lose it. What I mean is this. If you live in the dark long enough, you lose the ability to see. How many of you have been shut in a dark space for a long time? Yeah? As kids, you play hide and seek. And then it's like dark and dark and dark and dark. And suddenly when you come out of the light, it's like you can't see. Yeah? You recognize what I'm saying? Or what about animals that um, live at the bottom of the sea? What's the first thing that happens? What do they lose after many, many years? They lose their sight. They can no longer see. If, uh, if you are, if you are um, in a comatose state in a hospital and you don't walk for many, many months or years, what happens? Your muscles shrink and you lose the ability to walk and you have to be trained to walk again. In the same way, if you and I refuse the guidance and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, if we keep our hearts hard, in the end, we become incapable of discerning what is right and what is wrong. And wrong becomes right and right becomes wrong. Are you with me? This is what sin does. Sin hardens our hearts. So we cannot even see that it's wrong anymore. I have to say that after years in the ministry, we have helped people in many contexts dealing with pornography. There's nothing good about pornography, guys. Nothing. It will destroy you. And people, guys, think, oh, it's, no, it's, it's not a problem. It's just a little thing. And, you know, uh, it's, it's just a little kind of titivation and it's fine. You know what happens? It gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And to get the same thrill, guys need to go further and further and further and further. Why do you think the lost prophet singer was just put in jail for those terrible offenses against children? Why? You think it started there? 
No, sin always gets worse. It always, it's like an insatiable thing that needs to be fed over and over and over again. And so I want to encourage you, deal radically with sin in your life. I can't force you to do that, but part of my encouragement this morning is that all of us would deal radically with sin. And the way that we deal radically with sin is in our hearts, we keep our hearts soft and open. When the prompting of God comes, we just are the first to say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. That's part of our safety. Verse 28. The basis of everything that I want to say is what Jesus says in verse 28. You know why the, you know, you know why Jesus doesn't condemn the Pharisees? Because of what he says in verse 28. He says, all sins, all blasphemies that the sons of men commit will be forgiven them. That's the basis of what he's saying. Alright? All things. What does that mean? No exception. It means all things. And the key to understanding verse 29 about the unforgivable sin is to be rooted in verse 28. All things are forgiven, those that acknowledge Christ Jesus and ask for forgiveness. All things are forgiven them. This is how we understand verse 28. The Gospel of Mark, in our little study, we've already read in verse chapter 1, verse 4. John the Baptist appeared... In the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark 1.14. Jesus came into Galilee preaching a gospel, the gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. You can also see Mark 4.12, Mark 6.12, Acts 2.38, Acts 5.31. The point is this, in order for anyone to receive forgiveness... There's a sense of responding with repentance and saying, I am sorry. And turning from sin and embracing the gospel, embracing the grace of God in our lives. And that's why Jesus says in verse 28, All sin will be forgiven, the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. He means everything, all. There's no exceptions. Everything is forgiven. What he's saying in verse 29 about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, he's saying this, those that deliberately reject Jesus as the way of salvation, those that see the power of God working in a community, working in their lives, and they deliberately harden their hearts, and they reject Jesus all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, and there's a hardness of heart that comes so that they cannot even see what is right and wrong anymore. Those people cannot be forgiven. Why? Because they've rejected the very gift that God has given them to receive forgiveness. So if you are sitting here this morning and you love Jesus and you've repented of your sin, you, are not, you, cannot, you cannot commit the unforgivable sin. <laughs> You're with me. You can't. It's impossible because you've already repented. You've said, Jesus, please come and wash me and take me all my sin. So no Christian, no Christian is guilty of this sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit because Christians have already repented. But what I do want to say is this. As Christians, sin can still harden our hearts. We can lose the fullness of our inheritance because of hardness of heart and and not responding softly when, when Jesus says, I want you to change that. That's why 
I'm saying to you, like I said just now with this example of pornography, pornography will destroy you, it will destroy your marriage, it will destroy your kids, it will destroy everything that it touches. Best you repent of it right now, if it's a problem. Unforgiveness will destroy you, destroy your family, those that you love, your, your friends. Best you deal with it if it's a problem right now. Deal with sin radically, with a soft heart. So let me take it a little bit further then. If that's the basis of what Jesus is saying, what puts us beyond repentance, as, as he's, he's, he's saying in verse 29? He's saying that there's a specific thing of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I, I, I answer you with this. It's simply that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit puts you beyond repentance and therefore beyond forgiveness. It's a sin that makes it impossible for you to repent. Because we, we've read already, we, we are rooted in the fact that if we genuinely say sorry to God, He forgives anything. He for, for, forgives all things. So what Jesus is talking about here and saying it puts us beyond repentance is because it's where we get into a state in our lives, we are in such a bad state, people that don't know Christ are in such a bad state that by repeated refusals of listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the wooing of the Holy Spirit, calling to change, calling to repent, they get to a place where they cannot see anything lovely in Jesus at all. Nothing lovely. No sense of sin, no sense of remorse, no sense of anything. And because there's no remorse, there's no sense of sin, there can be no repentance. And therefore, there can be no forgiveness. You see, I want to say this even. You can blaspheme God. You can blaspheme Jesus. You can swear. You can call fire down. You can do whatever you want. You will still be forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying. But, why does he say against the Holy Spirit, if we sin against the Holy Spirit, if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness? Well, I'll answer you again, because the Holy Spirit has a unique place, a unique role in our lives that he plays in, in, bring, in bringing salvation to us. If we turn from God the Father and say, God, I reject you, that's a terrible thing. Absolutely terrible thing. If we look at Jesus the Son and we say, Jesus, I reject you. That's doubly terrible. But, in both of those cases, there's hope. <laughs> Why is there hope? Because there's still hope. Even if you've done that, you've said, God, I reject you. Jesus, I reject you. There's still hope that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, will so work in your heart that you will still come to a place of repentance and still be able to say, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry for what I said. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. There's still hope. Are you with me? Why? Because God the Father planned redemption for us. God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever believes in him might not die but have eternal life. Jesus came, humbled himself. We've just celebrated Christmas, the birth of the Incarnation. Jesus came, humbled himself, left aside glory, and said, okay, Father, I'll be part of the plan that you have for humanity. And he came and he lived out the plan of God, and he accomplished redemption for us. And all of that happens outside of ourselves, that all we need to do is believe in the completed work of Jesus. Yeah? And all we need to do is repent and turn back to Christ. 
But the Holy Spirit has this unique role in our lives. He applies the Father's plan to us. He, in our hearts, accomplishes the work of Christ that Christ has already done for us. And it's His work to open our eyes. It's His gift to us to give us repentance. And it's His role to make us the beneficiaries of all that the Father has planned and all that the Son has accomplished on our behalf. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to make that real in our hearts for you and I. And so, I say it again, even when we blaspheme the Father and the Son, there is still hope. For the Spirit might yet come and work within us and humble us and bring us to a place of repentance. And that's why Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, if behind the work of the Father and the Son you are seeing the power of the Holy Spirit and you are saying that power of the Holy Spirit, that transformational power of the Holy Spirit is actually the work of the devil, you are shutting yourself off from the only one who can bring yourself, bring you to repentance. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And so that's why we shut ourselves off from forgiveness. So I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you are in your life, if you are a believer, I want to encourage you this morning, Rejoice in the salvation that you have. You, you have not committed that sin. You have come to Christ. And I want to encourage you at the same time, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, flee from sin with all of your heart. Run to the cross. Run to Jesus. Don't harden your heart. If you are not a believer this morning, I want to urge you to do the same two things. I want to urge you to flee from sin. You don't know when a lifestyle of sin so hardens your heart that you've transformed, you go over that threshold to a place where your spirit is so hard that you can't, cannot even see the work of the Holy Spirit anymore and you cannot receive forgiveness. You don't know when that's going to happen. None of us do. So I'm encouraging you to flee from sin, which hardens your heart. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm encouraging you to flee towards the cross. I'm encouraging you to find grace in Jesus. So, what is the unforgivable sin? What I want to say to you, John Piper puts it very well. He says, the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an act of resistance which belittles the Holy Spirit so grievously that he withdraws forever with his convicting power so that we are never able to repent and be forgiven. Understanding what I'm saying this morning. So, how shall, thirdly, how should we live in the light of this? Well, I want to say again, if you are born again this morning, if you are saved, if you know Jesus, if you put your trust in Him, then rejoice and rest, knowing that you are not committing that thing, that unforgivable sin, if you trust in the grace of God. Rest with joy, with happiness. And I want to encourage you, as I've done already, run from sin with all of your heart, with fear and trembling. Why? Because it makes, as I've said, sin makes our hearts so hard that we stop hearing the voice of God. Don't flirt with sin. There's nothing good in it. It corrupts and taints everything. Flee from it. It robs your life from the fullness of the inheritance that God has from you, for you. And secondly, if you're not saved this morning, if you don't yet believe in Jesus, if you don't yet believe in His grace, I want to urge you too to run from sin and run towards the cross. You've heard 
the warning of Jesus towards the Pharisees, that would be a warning for all of us. But I also want to hear, more than the warning this morning, I want you to hear the offer of grace. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus says in verse 28. It's an offer of grace. I think uh, some, sometimes um, the danger that we have as Christians is that we can have a, once we know Christ, we can have a sentimental view of sin. Because we believe in the, the grace of Jesus, we can, um, we can have this kind of sense of God's justice where we never quite feel terror anymore because we so love the grace of God, we never quite feel terror anymore about sin. Uh, we don't ever think anymore of being utterly forsaken, utterly forgiveness, uh, utterly um, separated from God because of persistence in sin, because we know the grace of God. And so that can lead us to this, this place, which I believe is a dangerous place, that we can think no, no matter how we've sinned, we, we can just always return. And so we, we start living with this kind of like real sense of, Unholiness. The sense of, oh, well, God forgive me. Uh, I know the grace of God. His grace covered us also. It doesn't really matter. Christians can start living in that place. And so, I want to encourage you that we don't live in that place. That although we know and experience and the, the grace of God has transformed us, and we know we are forgiven from all sin, that we live with a sense of, God, I want to please you in every way. I want nothing in my life to displease you. I'm not depending on good behavior, but I don't want anything in my life to displease you. So help me to live in a way that pleases you. Help me to deal radically with uh, unforgiveness and sin and ungodliness in my own life, anger, whatever it is. Help me to deal radically with that so I can please you in every way. It's a different thing. Are you with me? It's a different attitude. So I want, to hear, I, I, I want you to hear this offer again of grace this morning. Verse 28, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. There's nothing that you've said or done that is not forgiven by the grace of God if you say sorry. You say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Starts those two things. A revelation of his kindness and his goodness. A revelation of what we need to repent of. And then he is faithful to forgive us anything. This is the good news of the gospel. So I'm encouraging this morning, don't be proud, as I encouraged you last week, if, uh, with humility. Let's, let's, let, let us be all walking forward with humility this year. Don't resist the kindness of God in your life. When you feel that little prompting of the Holy Spirit and you know there's just this little thing that you need to deal with, don't harden your heart. Don't say, no, tomorrow I'll forgive them, Lord. No, no, do it now. You with me? That releases the kindness and grace of God more and more into our lives. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to say to you that his offer of grace is available to you today. Don't wait until tomorrow. If today you are hearing the voice of Jesus, don't harden your heart. If today you are hearing the voice of the Spirit saying, I want you to deal with that thing. Salvation is close at hand. It's near right now. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Deal with it today. By grace, you can repent today. He wants you to enjoy life today, not tomorrow. Amen? Don't wait for tomorrow. Deal with whatever he's asking you to deal with today. Take hold of his grace today. So, is there unforgivable sin? Yes, there is. 
What is it? It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It, it means that we resist the work of the Holy Spirit and the very means that God has given us to come to repentance, we reject that over and over again. If you are a Christian this morning, you're not committing that sin, all right? You've already said sorry. Yes? Live free. Live full of joy. Enjoy the grace of God. Keep your heart soft and open to Him. Don't resist. Don't resist. Don't resist His Holy Spirit's work. He wants to make you more and more like His Son. If you don't know Jesus, He wants you to know Him. Respond to His grace today. Don't put it off. He's the one that forgives any and all sin that people come and say, Lord, I'm sorry for this thing. Amen? God bless you.